Hi, and welcome to another episode of Pasha. My name is Nundo Begumjali. And I'm Inas Kosana. Thanks for joining us. In today's episode, we look at higher education systems in refugee camps. To tell us more about this, we have Paul O'Keefe, a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Geneva in Switzerland. Paul and his team work with refugees on how education can improve their lives. Paul starts by telling us why there is an increasing demand of higher education in refugee camps. So there are a number of reasons, I think, why uh, there is um, a high demand and an increasing demand for higher education in refugee camps at the moment. Um, probably the main one is the sheer number of young people in camps. So we've seen over the last uh, decade or so many, many more people finding themselves in refugee um, crisis situations. Refugee crises have become protracted. I think the average time uh, or the, the kind of official time definition of a protracted situation is something like five years, but we're seeing people stuck in these crisis situations for a lot longer than that. Many young people have grown up in camps themselves and gone through the primary and secondary education systems on offer there. So there's kind of a natural progression for them to want to go on to, to study further education. Um, another, another kind of key contributor to this would be the encampment policies, um, especially in um, African refugee camps. A lot of the camps are removed from urban areas, so there really is no access to tertiary education outside of the camp. It's just physically too difficult to, to, to get from a confined camp in a, in a, in a desert to someplace uh, uh, like Nairobi. Many initiatives believe that education is a key driver for global development. Initially, Education in these type of camps focused on primary and secondary education, but now there is a greater emphasis on tertiary and higher education. The interconnected nature of the world helps this. Mobile phones in camps mean that everyone is connected. This makes it easy for people in camps to see what higher education programs are available to them. The difficulty, though, is that there are so many refugees in the world. This means that there have been global efforts to push resilience, empowerment and self-efficiency. Higher education is a driver of this. It fulfills a need for development and humanitarianism. Joining us for this episode, we have three refugees from Kakuma in Kenya. They discuss their higher education journey. First, we have Samuel Nyonguru. Hello everyone. I like this basic medical training course and it was very useful in my life for three main reasons. First, it helped me to enhance my knowledge based on the one I had in medical career I got from my country home, Burundi. Second, it empowered my capacities of helping my community members by providing useful advices on how to prevent against most of diseases, especially this COVID-19 pandemic. Three, it allowed me to share my experiences and knowledge I have with my colleagues. Once I get opportunity, I would like to go further and specialize in order to voluntarily and sufficiently come and help those in need like me. Thank you. Then we have Meika Mayan. Medicine has been my childhood dream course. Unfortunately, I could not enroll in college for the course after my high school because of lack of school fees. In 2018, the University of Geneva sponsored my online basic medical course, which I have been doing for the last two years. 
The basic medical has been an eye-opening for me. The first module on anatomy and physiology was very, very interesting. Just a continuation of, of what I did in high school. When I did pathology, I came to see everything around me very dirty and infectious. In fact, I became interested in studying medicine. I would like to become a doctor in future. And finally, Esther Namarome. I have done quite a number of courses such as global history, challenges of global poverty, introduction to global health, and currently taking an online course in research methods and statistics in social sciences. With the pedagogical approach used and uh, depending on the course, we are normally provided with reading materials such as handouts and textbooks, flash disks that are used to complement the, the online course. Sometimes Skype meetings with professors are done and uh, professors sometimes they come on the site to summarize the, the course content and also to clarify on the concepts which have not been understood by the students. WhatsApp discussions are also done online with online tutors and on-site tutors. However, it's, it's only in some courses, depending on the partner university, because some of them it's purely online and watching videos with assignments, then discussions with the peers. Being in a refugee camp comes with a number of challenges. A major challenge is lack of infrastructure. But how do students cope with this? To cope with this, they used to attend classes in small groups according to the timetable fixed by the management and student representative due to the lack of enough space and computers to seat all of students. Also, once at the campus, they take opportunity to download material in their mobile phone to be reviewed in their homes in order to minimize congestion at the campus with a narrow classroom space. Some of the students who happen to find the hub is full, they resort to discussions with other peers. Also, some of the students who have had a chance to acquire smartphones, they resort to smartphones use where they watch uh, videos for lectures. So long as they can access the internet, can help them to learn from there. Other students also use the nearby learning centers, provided they can access the center. However, the chances of accessing the centers, the learning centers which are near to them, are minimal. One of the criticisms of these online courses is that they are from Western institutions. Would it not be better for refugees to partner with local institutions? A guiding principle, I think, for uh, Western institutions operating in refugee camps or in this space really should be not to take the place of local institutions, not to supplant them, um, because they can often do the same job and they can often do it a lot better than, than we can, to be honest. Uh, however, it's not really always the case. Uh, so. I think in my view there, there is a place for Western institutions, as long as they're not taking the place of, um, of a local university who can, who can do the job just as well. Um, but it's really important to, I suppose, think about the role that partnering plays. Now, we know that it's because of economic dynamics, it's not, it's not always uh, an equal partnership. Um, so there is that kind of inequality dynamic going on in partnerships. 
Um, so I think, yeah, we need to be really cognizant of that. And in cases where partnering isn't possible, um, for example, we have a basic medical training course in Kakuma and it was it wasn't possible to partner with a local university to, to implement that course or to even, even begin to think about that course. They also partnered with local humanitarian organizations to understand what their role was. One of their courses featured a basic medical training course, which was 18 months long and had three modules. It was an online course with tutors from the University of Geneva. Lessons were given online, and tutors also went to camps to do face-to-face -face classes. They had three different modules where students were taught basic medical care. From here, students will be taught clinical skills by tutors, which will eventually lead to them having an internship. Is there a practical example you can give us on how the program works? Yeah, I think, I think um, how it practically works is that we have uh, a learning ecosystem. So uh, this has kind of got five actors within the system. So you have the students at the center, you have the, the professor who kind of like develops the course online. Then you have the, the tutors themselves who are um, you know, usually graduate students here based in Geneva who deliver online classes each week. So very face to face. Um, and then you, you have um, a facilitator who is a, a local person. So usually someone who's gone through the course the year before um, and they kind of do all the classroom management. So when the students come to to, to class, they're the ones who make sure they're on time, they're doing their work, they're submitting essays and so on. Um, and then you have the course coordinator who is kind of, I suppose, managing the whole system. And the, 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 this ecosystem um, kind of fluctuates and it's very flexible. So one week the tutor will have more involvement than the facilitator. Next week the, the online professor will, will be, uh, or the course professor will be kind of more pertinent to the learning. This process is the guiding scaffolding they use for all of the courses. The classes tend to have 10 to 15 students. Smaller classes are better because it's easier to manage a smaller group. Most students finish their courses because students are carefully selected. The best practical example is the medical training course. Students work with local organizations and intern locally after their course is complete. Online classes can be an available tool for social development in refugee camps. The trick is exploring what works for students and how to tailor make solutions that help students excel. Thanks for tuning into this episode produced by Ozeir Patel. From me, Nodobe Jali, And from me, Inas Kosana. Bye for now.